stuff, right? I hope you were able to worship this morning in song. We're going to continue our study on Sermon on the Mount. Can anybody tell me over the last few weeks what we've been looking at? I know, kind of an unfair question. Throwing it out there like that. All right, we talked about murder. We talked about adultery. What else? Anger? Anger. Well, that one hit home, didn't it? That one, that one was kind of rough. Well, we're going to continue along the lines of the, of the Great Commission. I mean the uh, Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry. Marquise de Lafayette. He was a French officer who provided assistance to George Washington during the Revolutionary War. And uh, after the war was over, he returned to France and he resumed his life and he was a farmer, a rich farmer, but a farmer. He had many estates. He had many estates. Well... One year, there was a devastating crop failure throughout that region of France. And one of his workers came to him and offered him what seemed like some really good advice. The crop failures were just, wow, unbelievable. But he had brought in some yield. And his servant was telling him, now's the time to sell. The price is high. Lafayette did something that was fairly interesting. He looks at this guy and he says, No, I disagree. This isn't the time to sell. Thinking about all these peasants that are running around here hungry, now's the time to give. Guys, we're going to talk about giving today. And how we are supposed to be a giving people as God's people. And so, as we step into this chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be reading from chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We're going to talk about giving to the needy. But I don't want it to just be about giving to the needy. I want it to be about giving, period. Who we are, what we're called to do, what we are to be as God's people, and how we are to give. You know, we finished Matthew chapter 5, guys. We focused on the teaching of the law. You remember all these little statements? Y'all just, y'all just told me what the themes were of each one of them. You remember how they started out? The Lord said, you've heard it said to not commit murder, for example. But I tell you, don't even be angry at someone. You know, he shared all of these things with us. So there was this focus on the teaching of the law, basically on what men believe. But today, we're going to begin focusing on the practice of the law. In other words, what men do, what me and you do. Now, don't misunderstand. Whether we're talking about chapter 5 or we're talking about chapter 6, and guess what, guys? We're going to, ta- we're going to talk about chapter 7 too before this over with. I can't help myself. The Sermon on the Mount is just that good. I can't help myself. 
So as we're talking about any of it, never forget that anything we do, anything we say, whatever actions we take, God sees the heart, right? That's the reason why we talked about what? Heart what? Heart righteousness. God sees why we do what we do. And blessings come accordingly, right? All right. So, we're talking about the practice of the law. As we looked at chapter 5, guys, it emphasized the inner moral righteousness, what we're about. And as we look at this section, guys, this outward formal righteousness should be seen, but it all, the source of all of it comes from the heart. Let's not forget that. Guys, I have this picture in my head. I've explained this to you two or three times. I've tried to paint this picture. Let me put it that way. I can just see Jesus standing on the side of this mountain. I can see the people around Him. I can see those that are hanging on every word that He has to say. And then there are those that are just a little bit fed up with who this guy is and the kind of stuff that he has the audacity to talk about. And Jesus is pouring out... This, this sermon that has to be the most, ser- uh, most powerful, most famous sermon ever preached. That's the reason why I can't get away from it, guys. The fun thing about this sermon for me is no matter how delicate a topic, no matter how difficult of a topic for a pastor to try to share with you, in the end, it's not mine. It's his original work being shared with each one of us. So when I look at you and I say, maybe we're not giving right, or maybe we're not loving right, I can honestly say, it's Jesus speaking to each one of us in this room. Is that not the walk of the Christian? Absolutely. What a beautiful section of passage right here. So today, so today, we're going to start by looking at this idea of giving. Before I move any further, guys, there's just something I've got to share about chapter 6 that's interesting. And Nate, you ain't got to worry about trying to pop this around. I didn't give you any of this. But, guys, as he's talking in chapter 6, he starts talking about our religion. You know, our activity, our religious activity, and how it's shown to the rest of the world. And so, in the very beginning here, we're talking about how we give. And you know, at the end of this part, he says something like this. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then next week, we're going to talk about prayer. And as we talk about prayer, there's a section in that where it says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then we're going to talk about fasting the last week. And once again, guess what the line is in that one? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Guys, the Sermon on the Mount challenges me and you to consider why We do what we do. Let's read it. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let's read together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray together. Lord God, 
I have had so much fun this morning just being able to worship. Worship in song, through our offerings. And now, Lord, here we stand listening for a word from you. I'm asking you, give us a word. I'm asking you to just share something with us that helps us draw even closer to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, guys. I want to break this down into a couple of ways. Okay? I want us to look at verse 1, and I want us to talk about this overall sense of false righteousness because the reason why I read those three different sections talking about giving and praying and fasting Verse 1 sort of introduces us to this topic of our outward expression of our religion. Guys, in and of itself, religion is not a bad word. It is treated as a bad word. For somebody to say they're religious, it is almost treated as a bad word these days. Well, sure, if we're talking about a false sense of religion or faith or something like that, yes, it is a bad word. But guys, just to say religion, it's not a bad word. So... As, as I look at chapter 1, let me reread it for you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For when you will, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. As I think of false righteousness, let me try to paint a picture with you. I, I, I've read a story about a... Actually, I've seen something very similar to this. But let me read a, a story for you of an, of an Eastern holy man. You've seen the pictures, haven't you? The Eastern holy man that's sitting in a corner maybe by a building in an urban center, and he's got the ashes smeared in different ways to show off his humility and his utter poverty, but yet he's a holy man in the community. And people will come by him, and they'll ask permission to snap pictures, stuff like that. And he'll say, hang on just a minute. And he'll kind of fix himself a little bit better, get his ashes just right, And then be willing to snap the picture. I know you've heard of or seen pictures of this type of guy. But whenever we we see somebody that honestly is rearranging the ashes to give the best image of who he is and how humble he really is, guys, wow, what kind of true humility are we really dealing with? See, a great deal of religion amounts to nothing more than rearranging religious ashes. Did you hear me? I'm not talking about in India. I'm not talking about in other third world countries. I'm talking about right here in the United States right now. And I'm challenging West Rock Baptist Church specifically. If we are not careful, a lot of our religious activities will become nothing more than rearranging ashes to try to convince the world that we are so humble, that we are so godly. Church, that cannot define who we are. It absolutely cannot be who we are. Well, in Jesus' day, as He is sharing this Sermon on the Mount, what you have is a group that supposed a humility and a devotion that was a sham. And it was a large number of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I'm telling you that as Jesus looked upon His people, guys, He saw that the devotion that they had was not to the Creator God, but it was to themselves. And it come out with this desire to serve self. And so, here we are. Jesus is looking 
at this group of people, and I promise you, the heaviest of rebukes that Jesus could share was intended for people like that. That would stand up in all their piety and all their religion, and on the inside, they were nothing more than a sham. Guys, can you hear on the inside right now in your head? Can you imagine where I go with the sermon next? I look at us and I think, who are we? Why do we do what we do? Guys, if you remember nothing else from our series on the Sermon on the Mount, just remember, why do we do what we do? It matters. It matters. So, let's, let's, let's dig in just a little bit. Let me, let me pull out some words here. Uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order, here it is, to be seen. Now, once again, I'm talking about false righteousness in general. I think a great way that you can define false righteousness is the need for other people to see what I'm doing so I can be praised for it, as opposed to doing something specifically for our Creator God. Listen to me. If that is an issue in your mind, anytime you do anything in service to God, you need to back up just a second. You need to question yourself. Why am I so bent on being recognized? And see, guys, we can serve in the same building together in the same community of faith and never know that about each other. Now, some people are so overboard with it that, yeah, we, we, we notice it. But guys, some of us, You'd never guess it. It's an issue of the heart, right? What are we calling it? Heart righteousness? And Jesus is looking at people and He starts talking to them about giving and He's bringing out to them this issue of to be seen. And if you're looking in the Greek, the word is theo... I'm going to mispronounce it. I know I am. But, it, but you need to hear this. Theomaya. Theomaya. Hang in here with me just a second. The Greek word for to be seen is theomaya. And what it really relates to... Basically, it's where we get the word theater. All right? And what it's all about is a, a spectacle, something to be gazed at. In other words, Jesus is warning about practicing a form of righteousness whose purpose is to show off before other people. Church, beware. Why do I say beware? Because, guys, in the flesh, in the flesh, we love attention. Is there anybody in here that doesn't from time to time like to be recognized for their accomplishments and achievements? Oh, come on, y'all. Better not leave me up here with my hand up by myself. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Thank you, sir. I like you. <laughs> Our centers will stick together over the corner, all right? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, guys, if we're not careful, we're recognition hogs to the bone. We love it. Why do we do what we do? It's in our nature. It's who we are. Guys, here's the reality. It's like a play. If we're not careful, we will do the very things that God has commanded us to do for His purpose and turn it into a twisted form. It's almost like a play because we want the recognition. We can call it theatrical righteousness right now. And it can be subtle in the church. Y'all ready for me to give you a couple examples? Y'all ready? There you go. Somebody's talking to me. Y'all know I like to talk. I like people to talk to me. Any of you like to mark up your Bibles? I love to mark up my Bible. I do, guys. I can't help myself. I, I know there are some people that, man, that's almost a heresy. I get it. Guys, it's okay. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not holding that against you. 
please don't hold this against me. I love to mark up my Bible. And so, man, if, if you read through my Bible, here's the one, if we're not careful, here, here's what we'll do. Talking about a little recognition. Man, I'm sitting over here next to my good buddy. <laughs> and the preacher asked me to turn to such and such page. <laughs> man, my Bible is marked up. Do you hear me talking to you? Sean has to be impressed with the way my Bible is marked up, right? I have got to be a righteous man. With that much marking in it, whoo, that boy is studied. <laughs> that laughter tells you, you know what I'm talking about. Every one of you know what I'm talking about. What's something else we do? I'm going to pick on what we're doing right now. Guys, y'all know I love it. It's like saying sick them to a dog whenever you talk to me while I'm preaching. I love it. I love the amens. I love it when people are interacting because it lets me know that you're there with me. And man, I love sharing God's word when people's there with it. And, and, and we're all hanging. It's not just you guys. When we're all hanging on what God has to say to us, and we have a chance to get into his word, and we see things that are going that are really good, and somebody starts saying, yeah, amen, yeah, boy, I'm telling you, I, that just turns me on. But you do realize that we can play a righteousness game, even with the amens. Man, I got my cousin. He's been in here the last couple, three weeks. I want him to know that even though we hadn't been around each other in church for several years now, I have matured in the Lord. (laughs) And inside of all of this maturity is my freedom and ability to express myself. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. And my mind is nowhere near the Scripture. What do you call that? Mm-hmm. We're getting there too, brother. Absolutely. We can take even good things, good things, and it can be a false sense of righteousness. So let's move on. Let's look at verse 2. Since, since he talked about this false righteousness, he goes into a specific topic, and that topic is giving. And he starts talking about false giving. So, let me read for you from verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. I'm going to stop right there. Brad just gave us the magic word, hypocrites. He built a great bridge for me right there. Hypocrites. How did he define a hypocrite here? Somebody who needs the attention when it comes specifically to the giving issue here. Somebody who thrives for the attention, who must be seen who must be recognized doing these things. And so he refers to them as hypocrite. Guys, I normally don't try to throw out Greek words or something like that, and today you're getting two of them, so you can laugh at me. Get the tape and you can laugh even more as you, as you hear me trying to... Upokritis. Is that how I believe it is pronounced? Upokritis is the Greek word. You know what it originally was, and that's where we get the word hypocrite. You know what it originally was? A Greek actor who wore a mask, who tried to play a part that was exaggerated for whatever reason. Okay? The role had to be dramatized, and for obvious reasons, this term came to be anyone who pretended to be what he is not. None of us in this room want to be a hypocrite, do we? We don't. I know that. Guys, this is a group of people that love God and want to serve Him to the absolute best of our abilities, right? 
You can say amen right now, and I won't hold it against you. Amen. There you go. I promise you. Don't, don't, don't shut down on the amens on me now. I'm telling you, I'm going I'm to I'm come back at you. Don't shut down on me. But guys, there's no, no way that any of us want to be that. But you know that Satan, probably one of Satan's most common and effective ways to undermine the church is through hypocrisy. Through hypocrisy. And guys, there's a couple of forms of hypocrisy in the church. First, you have the, the non-believer that masquerades as a believer. And then, guys, you also have that true believer, honestly, who are sinful. They're walking through some sin, and they pretend to be spiritual about it. It's kind of tough to sit there and think about that, right? Because maybe each one of us have walked through that particular time in our life. Maybe we're currently walking through a season like that. Here's a quote for you. Hypocrisy is so dangerous because it is so deceptive. It uses things that are basically good for purposes that are basically evil. And what Jesus is looking at this group of people on the side of a mountain and saying, whether it's giving the way you give, which was very important in the first century first century's Jews' life, whether it's giving or in praying or in fasting, we can take something that was intended to be a form of worship and we can make it into a bad thing depending on our heart. Man, does that not prove to us even more how bad we need Jesus Christ? Because the only true and perfect righteousness that we can find is through Him. Guys, listen to me. When the day comes, now let me get more personal than that. When my dad passed away at right at 3 o'clock on that day, Scripture tells me he is a professed follower of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells me that immediately, not later on, immediately, he was in the very presence of our God. When he breathed his last, my God called him home. You know, and i got to be honest with you, that's the reason why for the two weeks before he passed, and for this time since he has passed, I can't get Job out of my mind. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And at the very moment when God took him, he was standing there. And you know what? There was no good work that would permit my dad to be in the presence of God. There was one thing. And that was his professed relationship with Jesus Christ. We're called to holiness. We're called to good works. But they do not get us to heaven. Because even at our best, we're like filthy rags before a holy God. Isaiah teaches us that. But man, when we accept Jesus Christ, our Savior, what does it say? Our sins are forgiven and we are washed as what? White as snow. What a beautiful, beautiful thought when I think about my dad. This ain't part of the, this ain't part of the sermon. And that's generally when my family goes, oh my goodness, what are you fixing to say? When 
when I think about the events of the last week and loss in my family, as your pastor, one of the things that I hope I can do is to show you how to mourn with a sense of hope. Because we are given hope in Scripture. I said it earlier, I'll say it now. Resurrection is not just an Easter event. It's the foundation of the Christian existence. It's who we are. It's our hope. Right? It's the reason why I can smile with you about things this week. And still cry on the inside. Maybe even cry a little on the outside if you catch me at the right moment. All right. Let's keep going. So, we find here where he's talking about people being hypocrites. Man, we know we don't want to be there. But he's talking specifically about giving, so let me back up in verse 2, and he says it like this. Thus, when you give to the needy. I'm going to stop right there. When you give. Guys, did you notice he didn't say if you give. He said when you give. When you give to the needy. Listen to me, church. It's a command to us. It's a command, and it's a right command when it's done in the spirit that it's supposed to be done in. What's the wrong spirit? What have we established? The wrong spirit is when, I, when the need is for me to be recognized for every time I do something. That is the wrong spirit. The right spirit is when my true concern inside of giving or any other thing is glorifying my God in the process. That is the right spirit. And so, here we are. What do you do with that person that just expects to be seen no matter what? Guys, we're not talking here. This, this whole if, you know, not, not if, but when. Guys, when we're talking about that, we're talking about actual giving. We're not talking about good intentions. Hey, guys, I've done it a bazillion times. I've had good intentions a bunch. Anybody else in the room? Really good intentions that just never really came to fruition. So when I'm hearing this, he's not talking about and a, a, a good intention. He's talking about me actually giving something, giving a practical expression of love towards somebody that's in need. You know, you can find contrasting things here. Because if I read John chapter 13 and verse 29, I find where Jesus and the disciples, they had their own money bag specifically for giving to the needy. But yet, I can also read from like some of the Jewish writings, their apocryphal writings, in a book called Tobit. 12, chapter 12 in this book. Let me read this for you. It is better to give to charity than to lay up gold. I'm with that so far. That's good. For charity will save a man from death. It will atone for any sin. That's not right. Scripture doesn't teach that at all. There's nothing about doing good works that atones our sins and saves us. There's only one way that we can find that relationship with the Creator God. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. There's no other way, guys. In fact, they, this was taught so strong during Jesus' time that Jews believed that salvation was easier for the rich. Why? Because they could afford to do more for the poor. That's not right either. Praise God, my salvation experience is not based on my bank account. I would never get into heaven. There must be something inside of me that is greedy because God has said, boy, you can't handle, you can't handle money. You can't handle it in your life. 
And so he decided to make me a poor missionary and then a poor preacher. So what do you do with that? I'm telling you right now. Anyway, it's interesting, guys. In fact, as I read, as I look at all of this, no act of charity, no act of any other good work can atone for sin. Any of you guys like, listen, I know Bill Cosby's in all kinds of mess right now, and he's done all kinds of things, and all that's going on, but he was a pretty funny guy, right? You, remember, you ever hear the stand-up he had talking about his mom and daddy as they got older? Talking to his kids? You know, baby, can I get this for you? Baby, can I go take you to here? And Bill Cosby's stepping back going, who are these people? These people were not, no, these are not my parents. These are not the same people that raised me. And here's how he explained it. I thought it was so funny. He said, these people are old people just trying to get into heaven. Yeah, and all the grandparents in here know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely, it's hilarious. But now on the real side of it, guys, there's no amount of things that we can do that get us into heaven. I've had so much fun in here today. You hear me talking to you for real? I enjoyed worship and song. I've enjoyed fisting with people and hugging necks. And honestly, I enjoyed you guys pouring out some love on us. Just over my dad. It's nice having a church home again. For so many years, Melissa and I worked with so many different churches that we never built, had the opportunity to build really deeper relationships. And we've been here a short period of time, and we're just starting to settle some roots, right? It's just starting to happen. I'm looking forward to how we continue to grow and love on each other. And when the days come where we fight with each other, just know that it'll be like family. And hopefully we'll hug on each other pretty soon. In most of our cases, hopefully it's better than the way family handles each other. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Preach, 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 boy. He says here in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in verse 2, he goes on and he says this. Um... As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I want to stop there for just a second. They have received their reward. Unfortunately, there are many Christian organizations and churches that I believe use methods to motivate support in their ministries that really aren't very biblical. And you say, Mark, what are you talking about? Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I promise you, I do not know anybody's past in regards to giving like this. But, guys, I personally never want to see West Rock Baptist Church start offering plaques for who gives the most. I never want to see West Rock Baptist Church be the kind of place that publishes names in the back of a brochure because of giving. See, I think that when you have the wrong appeal, it's no different than the wrong motives. And I hope that as your pastor, you'll just take my heat if you ever think about this in the other direction. Let's don't motivate giving like this. Let's motivate giving by how we love our Lord and how we want to serve Him. And I absolutely believe in offerings. You know that. 
I believe in offerings. I believe in giving to special emphasis. I, man, we've brought in the Hope Crisis Pregnancy Center so we can give to them to help them with their budget. We, we work with the children's home down in Monticello, and that, that includes financial giving. I believe in giving because God gives us. But guys, I don't believe in giving so we can receive recognition on the amount that we give. I, I just don't buy that, guys. I, I'm going to tell you how serious I am about this. Our financial secretary, Ms. Shirley, I asked Miss Shirley from the very beginning when I stepped in as your pastor, even when it comes to tithing, I do not want to know the amount each person gives personally. In fact, I refuse to look at it. I don't need to know that, guys. I need to know how we are doing as a church. I need to know if we're paying our bills or if we're getting behind. I need to know if there needs to be a time when I stand up before you and say, guys, we can no longer afford to do these ministries because we are not paying for those ministries. And we are not going in the, in the bread because we're not paying for them. I wouldn't mind one bit standing up here and saying that if that's where things are. But I do not want to know what everybody's giving. For one reason, maybe it affects the way... You know, I know, guys. Y'all, just, y'all are kind enough to deal with a poor preacher like myself. All you big money folks, y'all give so much it might affect the way I preach the word to you. And I don't need that kind of, I don't need that kind of temptation. Do I, Mr. Kenneth? Hey, I don't need that. I don't need that. So I just don't want to know. That's how serious I am about that. Now, let me say that. Let me say this. I appreciate everything you do give to this church and to God's kingdom. I just don't need to know it. Okay? We all on the same page? All right, guys. I love you. Let's, let's finish this thing up. Let's start taking this thing home. As my wife would look at me and say, it's time to land that bird. So let's... let's, let's Let's get there. All right. Let's notice verse three and four. So we've got this situation where we've been talked about where we've talked about false righteousness and we've talked about false giving. Let's talk about some true giving for just a minute, okay? True giving. Let's read in verse three. It says, "But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." I want to stop right there. The most satisfying giving, in my opinion, is giving that God blesses, and that kind of giving is giving that is done and forgotten about. That's all he's saying. Guys, it's the most simple way I know to put it. When you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, man, you give to somebody and you give to them because there's a real need and your heart's there for them, and you hand it to them, and then you forget about it. There's no need in telling eight people that you did what you did. Amen. <laughs> Brad, you would have been so proud of me, boy. You should have seen what I did. I was on that street corner and I saw that guy. And I had 200 bucks in my pocket and I handed him a dollar. <laughs> I'm a giver. I can't help myself. <laughs> oh my goodness, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm a giver. <laughs> anyway, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Guys, the kind of giving that is great is a giving that is done in love. Out of a response for the, with a need. Guys, it's not waiting for or wanting recognition. We know that. I know that. I know we do. I read something that was really interesting this week, and and I'd never heard this before. But I think it's a great example of the kind of giving God does like. In the temple, there was a place where humble Jews could leave their gifts without being seen doing it. There was also a place nearby that provided a place for us the poor person, the shy poor person that didn't want others to see that they were asking for help. 
And that place was called the Chamber of the Silent. I want you to think about this with me for just a second. People gave, people were helped, but no one knew the identity of either group. Is that not a great example of what I'm talking about? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, I'm going to kind of backtrack just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3, what we're reading about right here. Let me reread it for you. Matthew 6 and 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Guys, listen to me. It's often interpreted that everything we do that's godly must be done in absolute silence. I do not believe that's what this is teaching. You say, okay, Mark, come on. You've been rambling on for 30 minutes about this. No, listen to me. I think the whole point, if you're going to take one thing away from this sermon, here it is for you. I don't think the question is whether or not others should see our good works, but whether they're done for that purpose. See what I'm saying? It's not whether or not other people see us do something. It's whether or not the reason why we do it is so that we'll be praised by others for it. That's where the problem lies. That's where the real problem lies. You say, well, Mark, back it up. Sure, why not? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Nate, I'm going to ask you to cue up some music for us. Sam, Glenna, I'm going to ask you guys to start getting ready. Okay? I, I, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. If we're created for good works and Jesus is the perfect example for us. I want you to think about Jesus' ministry with me for just a second. What all did Jesus do? Guys, when he preached his messages, where were they? In public. Whenever he healed, where did it happen? In public. When he did so many of the things where he showed compassion, it was in public, guys. But what made it to where it was a godly source of giving? Where was his attention? Where was his focus all the time? on his father making sure that his father received the glory due him not even himself guys that should be the picture of our giving listen I don't care if it's giving to somebody on the street because they ask I don't care if it's giving your tithe right here which guys hear me say we need your tithe we need tithe to help this church grow. We need tithe so we can run ministries. Guys, in order to run ministries, we have to operate, right? We need that. I'm not saying don't do that. But I am saying that the purpose behind the giving is not to be recognized for Last part of verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will do what? about rewarding and God blessing and different thoughts on that. I'm going to put it this, this way. I've looked at giving and God's reward a lot like I do my job. This being your pastor or doing what I do Monday through Friday as a maintenance manager. If I take care of my business, the blessings, financially or whatever, they'll take care of themselves. I don't, I don't have to worry about that stuff. Just do what you're supposed to do.
God will take care of the rest of the stuff. And I really believe that when we talk about God rewarding us, the principle here is we just, here's the deal, if we remember, if we remember it, God's going to forget it. But if we forget it, God's going to remember And God's going to bless it. Do you hear me talking to you? So, here we are. Thinking about the greatest reward that God could ever give us. The greatest reward that God could ever give us. And that's our ability to please Him. How do we please Him? Well, it's got to start with a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? So if you're in here today... And you've never come to that place where you said, you know what, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're sitting here and you don't understand completely what that means. Talk to me. Man, we'll, we'll, we'll make time and we'll really sit down and we'll just talk about it. It's a no-pressure deal. We'll just talk about it. What does Scripture tell us? Why do we need the relationship with Jesus Christ? And what is the outcome of that positive decision? Maybe you're in here today and you're thinking, you know what? I sure would like to become a part of what West Rock is doing. And I'd love for you to come up and tell me that. I really would. Or maybe, here's one for you. Maybe as we've just been talking about the Sermon on the Mount over these past few weeks, maybe something's just hit you and you just want to pray about it. You know what I would love to see? And I don't know how long it's been since this happened in this church. Without the pastor calling for it, I'd love to see people coming to the altar and praying. Because something's on their heart. I'm not saying fake something or force something. I'm saying today or in the future, just know that every service we have, we'll have this time right here together. And man, this spot just represents the very presence of God. We know He's everywhere. But we come to worship together for a reason. Because it's our chance to do it corporately. And we look at this as holy ground. And an opportunity to speak to our God, right? Alright, let me pray. And then these guys are going to lead us in one more song, okay? Lord God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the way you watch over and care for us. I ask you to just please forgive me of my sins. Guide our steps. Lord, if there's anybody here right now that needs to do business with you, I pray that you'll give them the the courage, the boldness to do just that. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Guys, I'll be right here for a moment. When peace like a river